Well, good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. And it's so good to have you guys with us here today. We're so honored to have you the Sunday after Thanksgiving, somebody. You guys drug yourself out of your turkey coma to get here this morning. I'm so proud of you. And, uh, or maybe if you're, if you're vegetarian or vegan, like a jackfruit comma, somebody in here. I can't wait. And so, um, there she is. <laughs> and so, hey, hey, I'm just so glad that you guys are here today. One of the things that I've been doing over the last couple of weeks is introducing you to some of the elders at our church. And so, Stephen and Cassie, would you guys come on out? This is uh, Stephen and Cassie Mary. And uh, man, you guys are so blessed to have them on your elder board at this church. I, I, you you kind of, sometimes you meet somebody, and the moment that you meet them, you think this person's going to be a big part. They're going to be a big part of what God wants to do in my life. And I remember when we met Stephen and Cassie, I, I, the next day I said to Ray, I said, there's something special there. I don't know what it is. But the Holy Spirit is on them. I can feel it. And <laughs> yeah, tell me more and more. But, um, but th- these guys do so much for us. But one of the th- my favorite things that they do is they lead the prayer team for our church. They've been on the prayer team since it started. And every Sunday morning before you get here, while you are either wrestling kids to say, put the sweater on, it's 31 degrees outside, and, and while, or while you're getting yourself out of bed on a weekend to get in here on Sunday morning, while we're doing that, these guys and our prayer team are in this space praying over what God is going to do here every Sunday morning. And we just believe that prayer is powerful, that it, is, it matters and it moves. And honestly, Stephen and Cassie have taught me more about that. And so tell me a little, tell us a little bit about you guys and, and what you're here, how you're here, why you're here, and you know, go. Well, <laughs> we're both holding microphones, so this could go a lot of directions. Yeah. Yeah. I do first have to say that one of us got the memo today. John yeah, Parker, we're looking good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So we're apologizing in advance because they handed us both microphones, so we both get a chance to speak a little bit. And we wanted it to be conversational just to tell you a little bit about us. So uh, we'll start on the personal side. Yeah, on the personal side. We've been married for five and a half years now. That's five and a half years. So if you're a married couple out there, we're, we're the couple that still counts half years. <laughs> right? That would make some married couples sick. But only because June 26th is the wedding date, which makes December 26th half year. So every time it's Christmas, it's easy for us to remember. So we're not as geeky as it sounds, but we still count half years. We do. We do. Yeah, we've actually both been married before in our 20s. We were yeah. married and... Not something we're really proud of. If someone mm-hmm. says, come up here and tell them about yourselves, you know, we want to tell them all the good things, but that's part of who we are. That's mm-hmm. part of our journey with God. And we, I didn't have God in my life at the time. I didn't know how to love someone else. Mm. I just had a lot to learn when it came to relationships, so mm. we learned a lot. And then we were single for a long time before God led us to each other. Yeah, we, we, we botched that, and he, <laughs> we are just grateful every day that he has given us a second chance, yeah. and his grace and love is more than we could ask or imagine. Yeah. Mm. But we met, at, uh, we met in Austin. We met at our former church, Gateway Church in Austin, Texas, um, yeah. At a, at a game night. At a game night. That was my line, by the way. We were at a social event for our church. Everyone was playing games, different games in different rooms of the house. I kept trying to get to the Connect Four board at the same time she was at the Connect Four board, and I couldn't quite work it out. 
So at some point, I just leaned over and I said to her, we just need to have our own game night. Just me and you. And she said, yes, I think we do. And I said, (laughs) that was the line. That's the best I had. That's the best I had. Yeah. But yeah, we uh, lived there in Austin for a year after we got married, and we realized that the heat and the big city living was just not for us anymore. We explored and came and visited my cousin Bob the Builder here in Asheville. His name really is Bob, and he really is a builder. Yes. And, he lives in- <laughs> it's true. It's and awesome. we just we fell in love that. with Western North Carolina and moved here as soon as we could after that, and just we love it, yeah. feel at home. Other parts of who we are at our church in Austin, we were both parts of either men's or women's groups, Bible studies, uh, prayer teams, mission trips. We've done a lot of things in the church. Outside of the church, we've both been entrepreneurs running our own business or we've been in the corporate world. And I don't, you know, I hear myself say all that. I'm not saying it to impress anyone. I think just to impress upon you that we've been around the church life for a while, we made a lot of mistakes. We learned a lot through doing all of that. We weren't perfect at it, and we just hope to bring, if we're on an elder board, we just hope to bring some of those learnings to the church mm-hmm. if we can. That's really all we want to do. Um, yeah, and yeah. I think what is most significant on our hearts, both of our hearts, is just how can we all be, um, be the church for each other? That's just mm. part yeah. of our hearts in this. Yeah, and I think being the church means different things to different people. I mean, for some people, it just means not doing life by yourself, and you have other people. If life backs up on you, you have someone to call, or you have someone to pray with, or you have someone to ask for favors. Mm-hmm. So being the church, I know that's a, it's a very general term. Uh, we have to figure out what that is. I remember back when I was in Austin and when I first started going to Gateway Church, I walked on that campus, and I was looking for Nate and Cody and Jorge and Carl. I was on a mission trip with these guys very early in my, in my faith walk. And I would show up on the campus, and I was looking for them. They were the church to me. I wasn't there for the building or the service or the pastor. I was there to find Nate and to find Cody. These are the guys I connected with the most. And then at some point, I don't know when that was. At some point, I think there were people coming on campus who were looking for me because I was in a prayer group with them or I was in a Bible study with them. I think we say all this to say, I think we can all, like she said, she said it perfectly, all of us need to figure out how to be the church for each other, mm-hmm. whatever that means. And we can't, we can't just do it alone. Yeah. So. We, all, we all need each other. We all need someone to pray yeah. with us or someone to, um, yeah, to pray together. We, no one needs prayer more than, more yeah. than someone else. Mm. Yeah, so what we're going to do next is we're going to turn the house lights up and do a little Q&A no, session. No, we're not. Oh, all gosh. right. Thank let's, you. Let's get him we off stage. Thank Stephen and let's Kathy so much for being here. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. You guys are so blessed to have them on this team. We have such a great board here at our church, and I just want you to know who they are because part of their role, part of what they do is care for you. They, they, we, we believe that, that the way the church cares for one another is never just about one person. It's not just me that, that is doing all the work of ministry in this church. We are sharing it with one another and with our, our spreading our gifts across the board so that we can be a body of Christ together. And so uh, Stephen and Cassie are a part of that. And I, I just, I hope that you get to know them more and uh, that you get to experience who they are. They're really special people. And so uh, let me tell you about two things real quick. Next Sunday is Legacy Sunday. 
And, uh, and that's the Sunday where we do our year-end giving. We only do one giving initiative every year, uh, and it's a year-end giving initiative. And rather than do a lot of you know, high-pressure meetings and, and messages to try to push you to give, what I would rather do is share you a little, with you a little bit about what God uh, has called us to do with this money, and then just ask you to be in prayer, give you a date and a time, and ask you to be in prayer to ask God how he would have you give in this, uh, in this season. And so uh, I'll tell you a little bit about our final legacy lane. That's what we call the areas that we give to. And then I'll tell you a little bit about what to expect next Sunday for Legacy Sunday. Um, so our final legacy lane is the gathering church. It's this church. We believe the local church is a place worth investing in. Uh, Within this family, people have a place to belong and to truly know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. And, you know, we just really believe that the local church is the hope of the world, that it was God's plan A, there is no plan B. It is the way that he is bringing truth and hope and purpose into the hearts of every man, woman, and child. We have seen it and are seeing it happen here, and so we believe it is worth sowing into. We don't think it's a place where you just give your money, but rather it's where you sow so that a harvest can happen. And and so, uh, you know, last year was, was, 2020 was tough all over. It was tough for everybody. And it was tough for us just like it was for many of your businesses and churches all over. But... Praise God, we have such a generous church, and he has been so good to us in this last year that we're still here when a lot of churches are not. We are still standing. God is good. And, uh, and so on the other side of that, uh, one of our goals really is to continue to be exceptionally financially healthy. We believe in stewardship at this church. I want you to know that it is very important to us uh, that the way that we run our church's finances is above the standard where we would run our own uh, with integrity and good stewardship. And so our hope is to rebuild a healthy savings account uh, after having to use some of it to get through lean times last year for two big reasons. One, because it's always wise to be prepared for a rainy day. And two, because this last year also showed us that being a portable church is particularly vulnerable. It's a vulnerable space to be. And we are so blessed to be here in T.C. Robertson High School. Many, many, many counties in North Carolina still do not allow churches to meet in schools in light of the ongoing pandemic. And so we're so blessed to be in this facility. It is a perfect facility for us, and we love it. However, we want to be prepared when God opens up the doors for us to move into a more permanent space. Uh, At some point, our our setup and teardown teams are like, hey, I have other gifts, and you can use them anywhere you'd like. And so having a healthy fund, we call it an exploration fund, allows us, because in this city, good real estate, good property is hard to find, few and far between, so we want to be ready to act when God reveals the perfect space for us. And so we're building that exploration fund, and so that's part of where the legacy offering is going this year. 
Uh, now, let me tell you about next Sunday. Next Sunday is going to be a little bit different. I am a, a person that if something is going to change, I need a lot of notice. I need to know. I got to prepare my heart. I like routines and I like sameness. I just love, my wife loves to rearrange the furniture in our house and she doesn't tell me ahead of time because I'll protest so much and not let her. And so I'll come home from work and couches will be in another place and I just faint upon entering. I, I don't know what to do with myself. And, and so I'm telling you this so you can start to prepare your hearts. Next Sunday is Legacy Sunday. We believe giving is worship, and so we want next week to reflect that. We are actually going to be entering into a cycle of worship for the next several weeks. We're starting a brand new series for Christmas next week called uh, A Christmas Story. And as we, we're going to be talking about how to worship Jesus, what it looks like in the Gospels. And so next week we're talking about how to worship a king. We'll be reading Matthew's Christmas story. And we're going to have, so the order is going to be a little different. We're going to have two songs in the beginning. How many of you know how many songs we have? Some of you guys are like, I don't know, I get here when the teaching starts. That's okay. No, it's not. Get here earlier. And so uh, we're going to have two songs in the beginning. That means don't come in at the end of the first song. Get here at 9.58 and come on inside. And then we're going to have the teaching. And then after that, we're going to have a song and a half to respond in worship. And here's our goal. Our goal is to have active worship worship during this time. We're going to have communion prepared for you up front where you can come and take communion. The way We'll talk about that, the way the Bible tells us to do it. Uh, we're going to have over at our cross a, a little station with pen and paper so that you can come and bring your burdens or, or bring your gifts and you can write them down and put them on the cross. And we're going to have some of our elders up here for you to come and receive prayer with and pray with them or maybe you want to pray for someone else with them and they'll be available for that, and then that will be the time during that moment of worship when if you bring a physical offering, you can go to the back and put that in our offering boxes there because we want it to be a part of worship. And so we'll be doing that for the next couple weeks and into 21 days of prayer, which starts January 2nd. And so we're so excited about this season of worship we're about to be entering into. It's really going to be a special time. I, I encourage you to make sure you're here all three weeks in December and bring somebody with with you. It's going to be a great time. Let me get right into the message now. We're halfway through it. Let's go. Today we're wrapping up Be Rich, and uh, I really just want to share my core value with you today, the core value of our church, which is generosity is a privilege. Generosity is a privilege. Maybe you've seen that core value before. You've heard us say it, and you're wondering why we chose that language. Generosity is a privilege? Is it really just a clever way for us to compel you to give? Or, or maybe generosity we read in the scripture is a requirement. Is it a privilege? I don't know. Maybe it's a requirement, but I don't know if it's a privilege. Maybe I see generosity as a nice thing to do. Generosity is nice, but is it a privilege? I don't know. Uh, is generosity a virtue maybe, but not quite a privilege? As in, we get to be generous? It's a privilege? Why? Why? Is it a privilege to be generous? I want to explain. I have been following Jesus for 13 years. 13 years, praise God. It feels like a long time. Some of you are maybe like, that's nothing. That's, that's not a long time. Praise God. I'm glad you feel that way. If you've known Jesus longer than that, I'm so happy that you have. Some of you are like, wow, that's a, that's a lot ahead of me, and that's okay. Praise God. I'm glad you're here. And Well, 13 years ago, uh, feels like a long time, but it's really, 
it's not that long in the grand scheme. I can still remember very clearly and very vividly what it was like, what I felt, where my head was at, and the time before I knew Jesus. Because it wasn't that long ago that I was completely adrift. Completely adrift. Now, I love nautical metaphors. Uh, You may not know this, but I was in the United States Coast Guard. I grew up around water. We always had boats growing up, spent a lot of time on boats growing up. When I was in high school, I worked at a marina. And then at 19, I joined the U.S. Coast Guard. And so I know a lot about nautical metaphors, the right way to use them, the right time to use them. And I understand what it means to be adrift. Adrift means floating with no means of propulsion or anchor. It means you're just going wherever the tide takes you. That was me. I was adrift. I remember feeling like I had been made for more, like, like there was some purpose out there for me. I remember just wanting. I, I don't know if I felt like I had a purpose, but just having a desire for one. What is my reason to keep on going? Why am I here? What is the point of all this? I, I felt that at 19 years old, you know, I, had, I hadn't been through a lot of life, if I'm being honest, but I had been bullied a lot as a young man in middle school and high school once I entered the Coast Guard. And had been through what I considered at the time, I would learn differently later, a lot of pain. And I remember thinking, surely there is a reason for all of this pain. There has to be. There has to be a per- This life is filled with disappointment and regret and pain and suffering. Surely there is a reason to go through it. I remember just wanting it so bad, but no matter where I looked, I couldn't find direction. And that led me to a place where I was bitter and angry and depressed and broken and suicidal. I was lost. Did you know that of all the people who are lost at sea, the Coast Guard reports finding only around 20% or less of them? For single persons who go overboard on a large vessel, that number drops to 5%. For a single person who goes overboard on a large vessel at night, it's less than 1%. When I say that I was lost, I mean that I feel like I felt like I had gone overboard at night. Like I was so lost, there was no hope of ever being found again. I felt hopeless. I wonder if you've ever felt this way. If you can remember. Maybe you're a new Christian and it just wasn't that long ago for you. Maybe you've been a Christian for decades. And let me encourage you for a second this morning to reach back into your heart and remember that feeling. What did you feel like? Did you feel adrift? Did you feel lost? Did you feel hopeless? Did you feel purposeless? Were you just drowning your life in all the wrong things, pursuing peace in all the wrong places? That's what I was doing, and I just was fed up with it. Until one day, one day when everything changed, when every part of my life would be transformed for all of eternity. (laughs) I had a conversation with someone who told me 
that the hope that I had been searching for was in Jesus Christ. I remember once in the Coast Guard, we were doing a search, and I didn't do a lot of search and rescue, and so I remember very vividly every case that I worked, and this particular one lasted four days, and all of us knew what that meant. It it meant after four days that we were no longer trying to do a rescue, we were shifting to a recovery. We weren't looking for people anymore, we were looking for bodies, A vessel had called out Mayday and then gone offline way off the coast of Key West. And I can't imagine how hopeless those men must have felt. How how lost they must have felt as they drifted further and further away from where they went astray. We felt helpless for them until one morning just past breakfast time. I was starting my work day when all of a sudden our alarms started going off on our ship to deploy the small boats. And the lookout had spotted a vessel adrift about two miles away. And we had been searching and searching and searching and looking everywhere. We had helicopters, four Coast Guard ships, not little boats, big ships were searching for these men, doing everything we could. And after four days, we thought it's over, it's done, they're lost, they're gone. But I remember that siren and they they had spotted the vessel adrift and so I was one of the team members that got on the boat the small boat that went up to that vessel and I remember as we got there and every person on board it was three men was alive and well and I remember their faces as we came pulling up alongside their boat you should have seen it It's hard to describe. Going from being lost like that to being found again is like going from being dead to being alive. At 21 years old, I understood the message of Jesus and gave my entire life to him. And the day that I did it, I understood exactly what that look was that I saw in the faces of those men. It was uncontained gratitude gratitude, thankfulness to be alive, thankfulness to be found, thankfulness to have been searched for. James 1.17 says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. We have been given so much, church, We've been gifted so much. It's easy to forget. You go through your life and you're living your day to day and you're prepping for Thanksgiving and you're doing all this cooking and and cleaning and you got the stress of the people are coming and did they say they're bringing their dogs? Oh no, they're bringing their dogs. And, And all this is going on and we forget to pause for a moment and really be grateful for the many things that we've been given because we have been given so much. So many gifts. And even if you don't consider yourself very well blessed in the realm of possessions, if you have gone from being lost to being found in Jesus' name, then you understand that every good and perfect gift does not come from underneath a tree. It comes from above, from the Father of heavenly lights. The one who breathed life 
into your lifeless body who searched for you when everyone else had given up, who found you when you didn't think you could be found again. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves because it is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. You have been given a gift the likes of which you will never receive again. You have been given a gift that you cannot even begin to comprehend the goodness of. You have been given a gift that you cannot give back, that once you receive it, it is yours. It is locked and sealed, and you have been given the gift of life. You didn't have to do anything to receive it. You just had to believe and say yes. When I first understood that, I just couldn't believe it. American modern Christianity, it tends to make us feel that if we are good enough and if we fit into the right checklist, we may be able to fit into the Christian club down the street. That was my understanding. But that's not how God works. I grew up singing a song almost every Sunday. And I just wish I would have listened to it for once. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. You've been given a gift, and all you have to do is accept it. Just to say yes and thank you. That knowledge changed everything for me. In a moment, I went from being adrift to being found, to being anchored. Suddenly I wasn't lost. I didn't have to try to propel myself to safety in any harbor that I could see. Safety came and found me. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I understood the first part of this passage. In my bones I understood it. The wages of sin is death. I was riddled with guilt and shame and the pain of my mistakes. I understood it. I was living in the death that my sins had given me. But Jesus rescued me and freed me and he gifted me eternal life and I don't have to live in my shame or in my guilt or in my pain for one more moment because Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to live in the, sh the guilt or the shame for one more second because his word promises you that the condemnation that you have placed on yourself, that your sin placed on you is wiped away, removed and gone. It doesn't exist anymore. You get to be completely free and found and saved. So I am found and I am free. And I stand before you today not condemned, not adrift, not lost, but I have a hope and a future that can't be taken from me. I have a purpose that is always ahead of me. And I know now that I am God's handiwork, I am his masterpiece. And he has good works in mind for me to do. He's rescued me against all odds. When I deserved it the least, he gave his life for me so that I could be with him forever in paradise. I thought I was worthless. But he helped me see that I was a treasure worth dying for. So, what does any of this have to do with money and generosity? It has everything to do with it. Everything. It has everything to do with it. 
Because if I'm going to live in the gratitude of what Jesus has done for me, then every part of my life needs to flow through that. He rescued me. And so anything that I can do to carry on the work of rescuing others in Jesus' name is not only my calling and my duty, but it is my privilege to be able to give back to the one who gave so much to me is my privilege. To be generous in a way that points others to him so that they can experience the hope that I have found is my privilege. Because instead of being lost, now I get to pursue those who are. So when I am generous and I can use that generosity to point people to Jesus' name, I count it as a privilege for me to be able to do so. In the remainder of my time this morning, I want to break down one simple passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 15. Here's five things that I learned from it. First, we need to invest wisely. Because of what has been done for us, we invest wisely. It says this, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. If you follow Jesus, then your days of pursuing peace and fulfillment in all that this world has to offer you are over. They're behind you. Leave them there. There is only one treasure in the kingdom of heaven. There is only one treasure in the pursuit of which will bring you fulfillment and peace and happiness. And that is people. And in the work of sowing into the things that build treasure, like the church, for instance, what you put into it will determine what you get out of it. If you are looking to reap satisfaction and fulfillment, then make sure you are sowing into the things that God loves. People, teach them the gospel, train them in it, expose them to it, form a spiritually whole person and invest in the thing that makes that possible and you will reap generously. Number two, the heart behind the action matters. The heart behind the action matters. Verse 7 says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I'm sharing the gospel with you today to help you see that generosity is a privilege, that it's a joy for me. God wants you to give out of a place of joy in your heart, a place of gratitude in your heart, a place of worship in your heart. He does not want you to be compelled to give against your will. I'm so sorry if that's what you thought. God does not want you to be pressured into giving. He doesn't want a, a God, it doesn't say God loves a, a begrudging giver. A God, God loves a, a pressured, peer pressured giver. But God loves a cheerful giver. He, he doesn't want you to give if you're being felt like you're being compelled to with all these tricks and slick words. That's not who he is. He wants you to worship him through giving. He wants it to come from a place of your heart where you are wanting to respond to what he has given to you. Number three, everything that I have comes from God. Verse eight says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. This is how the Bible teaches money. God wants you to be blessed, and he wants to bless you abundantly. doesn't mean you're always going to be rich. That's not what it says. 
It just means that he wants you to be blessed. He wants you to have enough. But he doesn't do it so that you can build a kingdom for yourself on earth. He doesn't do it for you to hoard it to yourself. Every blessing he gives you, whether it is financial and physical or otherwise, he does it so you will abound in every good work. So it's expected that we understand that all that we have comes from him, has been given to us from the Father of heavenly lights. Every good and perfect gift is from where? Above. It's expected that we understand that. And so when we give it away, it is a privilege in the first place. Verse nine says, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. These two verses just repeat and strengthen the idea that's given in verse 8. Whatever God gives you, whether it is a lot or a little, he gives you so that you might leverage it to build his kingdom. I believe it's okay to have things and stuff. It's okay to have nice things. It's okay to take vacation. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty today. I'm helping you to see that generosity is a privilege. Number four, it's about gratitude. Verse 12 says, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. That's my prayer for your giving. That when you give, whether it's to meet needs for somebody, whether it's to, to meet a need that you identified or, or to a charity that you love or into the local church, that the way that it's coming out of you is that it's overflowing in many expressions of thankfulness to God. When I give, I am reminded of how much I was given, the blessings that I have that I do not deserve, the way that I was lost and then I was found. And, and this is just one of the ways, it's worship, it's one of the ways that I express the overflowing of thankfulness that is within my heart. It's how we say thanks. The idea is about gratitude. We're doing a new song here next Sunday that you should go listen to this week to get ready. It's called Gratitude. It's so beautiful. I was lost in a drift and purposeless. My life had no meaning. And now I am found and I am filled and I have joy and I have purpose and I have meaning. And so as I give, my generosity is overflowing in many expressions of thankfulness to God. Number five. And finally, generosity is a privilege. Verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, 
their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Being able to be generous is an indescribable gift that points people towards Jesus. When I give in a way that builds God's kingdom and leads people to find what I have found, what a privilege that is. What a gift. So here's the point. Generosity is a privilege. It's my privilege because I have something to give. It's a privilege because my generosity points others to Jesus so that they can have what I have. It's a privilege because Jesus rescued me. So now I get to follow him and live how he taught me to live. It's a privilege because when I live in generosity, when I'm a generous person, it gives me greater fulfillment than serving myself ever did. If you're in here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you still feel adrift, lost, without hope. Oh, I have such good news for you today. The search never stopped. He never shifted to a recovery. He has every available resource pursuing you, seeking you, desiring you. All you have to do to be found today is say yes to the gift that has been offered to you. You see, he did all the work. The Bible says that your sin separated you from God, that it made it impossible for you to get to him. And, and there was a season, a time, when God made all these, these shortcuts, these, these temporary fixes for us to try to reach him, to try to get into his presence. It was never, ever good enough because only a perfect sacrifice could cover your sin. And that is why Jesus came. It's why we're entering this Christmas season. He came because he was searching for you. And he became this perfect sacrifice. He was killed to be the so that all of your sins, the punishment that we all deserved was upon him. That's what Isaiah 61 says. 54. And because of that, because of that, there is now just an easy way for you to enter into the presence of God forever. And he even goes one further. Jesus resurrected from the dead and he's seated at the right hand of God. And what he says is, I don't need to just make a way for you to enter into my presence. I will send my presence to enter into you for all of eternity. It's called the Holy Spirit. And you can have all those gifts this morning. You don't have to do anything except say yes. And so if you're in here today and you would like to enter into a relationship with Jesus, then every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, Thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for making a way for me. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my mistakes. I believe in you. I believe in what you've done for me. And so all that I am is yours. I give myself to you from this day for all the days for the rest of my life. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.